Hey Northerners, uh, today's episode is one that actually has been suggested to me multiple times and it is the murder of Lindsay Buziak, um, which took place in 2008 uh, in a, ironically, I've already done a story um, based out of Saanich, British Columbia. This is another one. Um, and although they're years apart, uh, they're both in the exact same area. So um, without further ado, here is the story of Lindsay Elizabeth Buziak. Hey Northerners, a listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature. The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Northern Blood podcast. Listener discretion is advised. further ado, this is the case of Lindsay Buziak. So Lindsay Elizabeth Buziak was born November 2nd, 1983, uh, and she was a Canadian real estate agent who was actually murdered on a property viewing in Saanich, which again, if you haven't listened to the first episode, is a suburb in Victoria, British Columbia. So the identities of the purported clients to whom she was showing the property and who are the prime suspects in her murder are unknown. I know this is another unsolved one. So as of 2020, her murder remains unsolved. So to kind of give you a little bit of background on who Lindsay was, she was born again, November 2nd, 1983 to Jeff Buziak and Evelyn Buziak. And she had one sister, Sarah. In 2008, uh, 24-year-old Lindsay was an ambitious Victoria real estate agent who had made a promising start to her career and was described by her family, friends, and colleagues as being popular, caring, and all of the things. Uh, Her boyfriend, Jason Zallow, is a part of a prominent, wealthy family that owns a successful real estate business, and I believe he was actually um, a mortgage broker. So not only were they a couple, but they also worked together on deals. So in late 2008, uh, Lindsay received a call from a woman who told her that she and her husband were urgently looking for a home to buy with a budget of about a million dollars. According to Lindsay, the caller had a foreign accent that she just couldn't place, uh, and she said it sounded a bit Spanish, but not really. That was the best way that she could describe it. So Lindsay believed that the caller either was A, faking her accent in order to conceal her identity, or it was just an accent she couldn't place. So she was a little unnerved by the nature of the call. Um, And so Lindsay asked the caller how she got her cell phone number as she was a relatively junior uh, real estate agent. Um, And so the caller actually had said that a previous client of Lindsay's had passed it on to her. And so that kind of made her feel a little bit better. She felt a little bit more at ease. Um, And again, obviously only good clients refer people. So she just kind of took it as that, even though she still felt a little uneasy. She, you know what? She talked to her boyfriend and 
and her dad, and they both kind of said, you know what, take the client on because based on a million dollar home purchase, the commission on that is well worth it. And they said, listen, we're going to help you out. We'll, we'll kind of be there to help you out. If you need one of us to come to the, to the showing, um, we'll absolutely do that. We want obviously you to be safe. That's our first priority. And we obviously don't want you to miss out on a commission of that size based on maybe an uneasy feeling. But if you are a crime podcaster or if you are a, just a crime person and you just adore true crime, this is your thing. You know that that gut feeling in your tummy absolutely is what you should trust. And so moving on, um, Lindsay kind of looked around and she looked at, you know, the websites and she looked and she finally found a suitable property. So she made an appointment with the client to view it uh, at 5.30 p.m. on Saturday, February 2nd, 2008. And so that day, um, Lindsay and Jason, her boyfriend, ate a late lunch at a restaurant. They paid the bill at about 4.24 p.m. And they left separately in their own vehicles. So Jason actually had to go and run a couple errands, but he reassured her he was going to meet her um, between 5.30 and 5.45. And so Lindsay went to home to go change her clothes before the viewing. And Jason and a friend actually went to an auto shop. They, and he, that's where he picked up a colleague. So Jason was running a little bit late. And so the CCTV footage at the auto shop showed him and his colleague leaving the auto shop at 5.30 p.m. This was when the viewing was scheduled to start. Um, and so Jason and Lindsay had exchanged a couple text messages and Lindsay was aware that Jason was going to be late. So he texted her something along the lines of, I will be there very soon. I'm on my way. Um, I'll be right there. And we're unaware of what Lindsay had said. I don't think that's been made public record, but Lindsay basically said, okay, cool. You know, like see when you get here. So the street on which the house was located is called D'Souza Place. It's a small cul-de-sac containing only four houses. So the number 1702 is at the outer end of the cul-de-sac on the intersection of D'Souza Place and a main thoroughfare, which is Torquay Drive. Tor Torquay Drive. The side of the property and the fence of the back garden run parallel to Torquay Drive. So despite the client telling Lindsay that she would come alone, a couple turned up for the viewing. So at 5.30 p.m., two witnesses saw a six-foot-tall Caucasian man with dark hair and a blonde-haired woman aged between 35 and 45 wearing a distinctly patterned dress walking up to the cul-de-sac. The witnesses then saw Lindsay shake hands with the couple, and from the body language of their greeting, it appeared she'd never met them before. These are all from witness statements. Um, and the three of them entered the house. So that was at 5.30. Uh, Jason and his colleague arrived at the cul-de-sac at about 5.40 p.m., so only 10 minutes after they had gone inside. As they were driving up the property, he saw a man and a woman coming out of the front door, and upon seeing him, they immediately turned around and went right back in the house. So Jason parked outside the property for about 10 minutes, and then he decided to drive back out to Torquay Drive and park there, as he didn't want to look like a nosy, interfering boyfriend. So he waited another 10 minutes. So at this point, it is six o'clock. Um, so about half an hour after the showing started. So he was on Torquay Drive, which again is on kind of that secondary road. And Jason texted Lindsay and asked if she was okay. Lindsay never opened the message. So after about 20 minutes had passed, 
and he had seen that couple go back in the house. Jason went to the front door and he found it locked when he tried to open it, which struck him as odd considering it was a showing. <laughs> that doesn't typically happen. So he looked through the glass in the front door and he saw Lindsay's shoes in the entrance hall. But there was no sign of movement and no one answered his repeated knocks at the door. At this point, he was freaking out. So he called 911. And mind you, he had already had a bad feeling when he saw the couple, but now he's freaking out. So while Jason is on the other line with the operator, his colleague found a gap in the fence at the back garden. He entered the garden and saw that the back patio door was wide open. He called out to Jason who told the operator they were going in the house and Jason hung up the phone. So Jason's colleague came through the main level of the home to unlock the front door to let Jason in. Jason immediately ran upstairs and found Lindsay lying in a pool of blood in the master bedroom. Jason called 911 a second time and emergency services arrived soon after. Unfortunately, Lindsay was pronounced dead when the paramedics arrived. She'd been stabbed multiple times. There were no defensive wounds indicating that she had probably been initially stabbed from behind and had no inkling of what was about to happen. None of Lindsay's possessions had been stolen. Her purse was on the counter, her shoes were there, and she had not been sexually assaulted. So Jason and his colleague were taken into custody but were released without charge after their version of events were verified and the footage from the auto shot proved that they did not do this. According to the Saanich Police Department, Jason had been interviewed several times over the years and has always cooperated with the police. He's already passed a polygraph test. However, he has always refused, refused to provide a DNA sample. So due to the complete lack of DNA, fingerprints, or any other physical evidence at the scene, it is believed that the murder was a well-organized professional hit carried out by people who killed before. The police are satisfied that the killers were leaving through the front door when Jason drove up to the property, and then they fled through the back door, leaving the back patio door open, passing through the fence and back to a vehicle which is presumably parked somewhere on or near Torquay Drive. This is consistent with the witness statements of the unknown couple walking rather than driving up to the cul-de-sac and the fact that all the vehicles in the cul-de-sac once the police arrived were accounted for. So the cell phone used by the unknown woman to call Lindsay was purchased in Vancouver several months before the murder and had never been used until the call was made. It was activated under the name Paulo Rodriguez, which is obviously authorities believe is a fake name. It is registered to a legitimate address in Vancouver, which is a business address, but it is believed that the business has no connection with the case and its address was simply chosen at random. The phone was deactivated soon after the murder and has not been used since. It literally was only used to communicate with Lindsay. So cell phone tower pings show that the phone traveled on the ferry from Vancouver the day before. Um, and if you've listened to the first episode, which was the case of Rita Burke, you know that Saanich is only accessible by ferry or airplane. So um, authorities believe that the phone was used for the sole purpose of the murder and it was discarded afterwards. There supports their theory that the murder was planned. The family of Jason were investigated due to their connections with the cul-de-sac. D'Souza Court is named after a developer named Joe D'Souza, a friend and business associate of Shirley Zalo, which is Jason's mother. So part of the cul-de-sac was still under construction at the time of the murder, and D'Souza himself was at the location an hour before the murder, supervising construction work. However, the police have stated that no one in the Zalo family is a suspect. 
In September 2010, NBC aired a Dateline episode called Dreamhouse Murder. The Saanich police detectives Horsley and McCall revealed that in December 2007, about eight weeks prior to her murder, Lindsay tried to contact the friend of her ex-boyfriend while on a visit to Calgary. On January 22nd, 2008, the largest drug bust in Alberta's history took place and that friend was arrested as a major participant in illegal drug trafficking operation. It was speculated that Lindsay's murder may have been ordered by a drug cartel because she was believed to have been a police informant. The detectives investigated the possibility but quickly ruled it out as a motive because she was not an informant and the personal nature of her murder did not fit a hired killer's method of operation. Crime scene investigator Yolanda McClary and veteran homicide detective Dwayne Stanton both agree that Lindsay's murder was not a contracted murder related to drug cartel. It was brutal, but it was too amateur. Both seasoned investigators stated that they do believe that Lindsay's murder was very personal and planned by someone very close to her, someone who had access to inside information from the Remax office where she worked. Speculation regarding another drug bust related to this group of people were also investigated as a link to Lindsay's murder. Jasmine Singh Bain's phone had been tapped because of his high level of involvement in the trafficking and sale of illegal narcotics in British Columbia and Alberta. During the wiretaps, law enforcement uncovered information that led to the BC legislature raids in 2003. Lindsay and her boyfriend's phones at the time were also tapped because of the association of Jasmine. Although the theory was interesting, it was quickly dismissed because Lindsay was never known to be in drug use or traffic and it was not on a witness list released to the defense during the trial. Later in 2008, a close friend of Lindsay's called Nikki claimed that she was woken up by a telephone call in the middle of the night from an unknown number. She was half asleep. She did not register what the female caller was saying but she noticed that the caller had a strange accent that she just couldn't place. She became scared, and when she remembered that Lindsay had reported that her unidentified client and possible murderer had an odd accent that she couldn't put her finger on, she thought that it may have been fake. Now fully alert, she called the number back, but no one picked up. She called repeatedly 20 or 30 times until someone answered. The person on the other end of the line was Shirley Zylo. Nikki asked Shirley why she called her and how she had her number, as they did not know each other. Shirley replied that she meant to call another Nikki, her secretary, and that she didn't know why this Nikki's number was in her contact list, but presumed that it was her son Jason who must have added it. Shirley Zalo categorically denies that this event occurred, and it has not been publicly revealed when Nikki's claim was followed up by the authorities. In February each year, Lindsay's father, Jaff, leads an annual walk in remembrance of Lindsay to keep her case in the public eye. As of March 1st, 2020, which obviously was just a month ago, um, there's actually articles in a lot of the newspapers who basically want to remove the Saanich Police Department from this case. So it's been 12 years after she was murdered and they still do not know who it is, nor do the Saanich Police Department want to speak to journalists or release any information because this case is still considered an open and active investigation. The one person who won't stop talking is Lindsay's father, Jeff Buziak. There are conspirators and killers of young women walking free in Greater Victoria. The public is in danger. 
Buziak told Post Media that when he cradled his daughter's head in his arms and stroked her hair as her body lay in the morgue, he made her a promise. I'm going to find out who did this to you or I will die trying. The lack of an arrest or arrest in this case has frustrated and devastated Buziak's family, said Buziak. The case is one of Canada's highest profile unsolved mysteries and has attracted attention from international media, including a 2010 Dateline episode, coverage on Dr. Phil, inspired podcasters, bloggers, and conspiracy theorists. Now, Ashley Turner has launched a change.org petition asking that Mike Farnworth, the Minister of Public Safety, is removed from this case and it's turned over to another agency. I've been following this case closely, said Turner. She's a 35-year-old engineering assistant who lives in Fort Wade, Indiana. Turner, who is the same age Lindsay would have been had she not been murdered, became interested in this case after hearing about it on a true crime podcast. Buziak is openly critical of the Saanich Police Department for their lack of progress on this case. Saanich Police are not capable, they are not qualified, they have no experience, they should have never been on this case by themselves, and this needs to be turned over completely to the RCMP. In an emailed statement, Constable Marcus Anastadius said Saanich Police would not speak to media. They are in a partnership with the RCMP that began at the initial crime scene, and that partnership continues to this day. They said that RCMP has conducted two comprehensive reviews of the investigation, one in 2008 and one another one in 2019, and the Saanich police are moving forward with the recommendations of the most recent review. It's been hell, said Jeff Buziak. Lindsay was a great kid, high-spirited, with a mind of her own. She was happy, fun, kind to others, and well-loved. Buziak, he is a Calgary real estate broker, and said he's had years of counseling and understands that an arrest won't bring his daughter back. I'm not doing this just for her. I'm doing this for all the other missing and murdered women and girls whose cases have gone unsolved. So that was the story of Lindsay Buziak. It is, again, unfortunately unsolved. And at this point, I'm sure that Jeff Buziak thinks that this will never be solved. There will never be justice. And killers are walking free in the Saanich area or they've moved to Victoria or Vancouver or even Calgary. Um, I know that if you are a female real estate agent, there are fears about doing open houses or doing showings because it's just yourself. There's usually a couple. Um, I do believe um, my husband is actually a real estate agent here in Calgary. Um, and he did tell me when we were discussing this case that um, in the safety measures that you have to go through, they actually use Lindsay Buziak's case as a safety precaution and use it as a case study to talk about what not to do and how they can avoid a situation like this and unfortunately if that's what Lindsay's case has come to if it is strictly a case study now um, it's devastating it's heartbreaking and there does need to be justice and I am hoping that eventually the Buziak family gets some justice and they can start to grieve properly because from 2008 to now it's a long time to have no answers so Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Stay safe, Northerners. Thank you so much for listening. Every case I talk about is so important and deserves the attention. If you could kindly share this podcast with your friends, that would be amazing. If this is the first time you're listening to Northern Blood, thank you. I would love for you to go give our show a five-star review on Apple.